With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Rock. Ahoy, friends. Thank you for turning the dial to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 33, Chuck. This week, we heard from Charles, Chuck, Kunzi, Vicky's ex, and a father figure to Becky and her sisters. This week, as always, I'm joined by Janet Varney and Bob Ruff, and we are going to discuss your questions and your theories right after this break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back, everybody. And Bob, I hear you have some exciting news for us in the merch world. Yeah, you guys have been asking for a long time, uh, for ever since we did the West Memphis Three shirts, for us to do some more merch. And we are finally doing it. I finally got off my butt this week and talked to our new merch person uh, that is taking care of our our shirts. Uh, Some people asked in our YouTube chat before we got into this. It's the same person. It is not. uh, The person that's doing our merch now is the same people. If any of you have ever bought anything from True Crime Garage, uh, the captain turned me on to his merch lady, and she's the one that is handling this for us. She does great work. Uh, if you're a patron and you've gotten your Army Green uh, Patreon shirts in the last six months, those all came from her. She does great work. Or if you bought one of the Comedy Hour shirts at Obsessed Fest, also from her. So uh, this is what we're going to do. We can only do one design at a time. And I know there's a bunch of people that want Ahoy shirts and, stuff and all that stuff. So we've, we've got some fun ones that are going to come out. But I wanted to get something out so that in it, before Christmas time, and we got to do it a pre-order style. So by the time you're listening to this on Friday on our website in the shop, the shirt should be available for pre-sale. We are doing, because it's fall and wintertime, uh, we're going to do hoodies and beanie caps, like like knit, fleece-lined knit caps. We went with some high-quality stuff. And then we're also going to do T-shirts. Uh, the shirts, the T-shirts, and the hoodies will be the same design, uh, and the shirt is going to be the outsider shirt, and we talk about how we are outsiders of the criminal justice system, working to fix it from the outside, and, uh, and the people on YouTube got to see a little preview of what the artwork looks like, or is going to look like. Uh, the concept is there's like a the road to justice, and the outsiders are busting through, because you know how they're always telling us to stay in our lane? We're busting right through their lanes as the outsiders. It's going to be a black shirt, white print, and there will be, for sure, we're going to have... Ladies cuts, unisex cuts in the t-shirts. Uh, Something in the YouTube chat asked for ladies v-neck cuts. I don't know if we'll have those or not, but if I can get those included, then we'll put those up too. Nice. Uh, and then uh, so Nice District is the brand. They're a high-quality brand of hoodies. Uh, those will be available. And then the beanies are black beanies with uh, Truth and Justice embroidered on the front of them. Um, just Just the Truth and Justice logo on the front. They all look pretty cool. I'm going to put them up on Friday, and then you'll be able to order them up until the end of this month through the 30th. So you'll have a little over two weeks to get your orders in. On the 30th, order shut off, and I ship the order off to Rachel to get them all printed and shipped out. Because And it'll take about a week or so for her to do that because I want to make sure everybody's able to get them in time for Christmas and stuff like that if you want to use them for gifts or anything like that. So uh, be looking on the website as you're hearing this today. 
uh, for this merch order. It's a uh, like we've done before. You know, we do we do batches of pre-orders of a particular design. So once this design is done, we probably won't print it again. Uh, so if you want the shirt, this is your chance to get it. They'll be up on Friday. And as far as housekeeping goes, before we get going with with today's episode, uh, I decided, as you guys know, in November every year, I take a week off and go up to Deer Camp. I was trying to work on getting episodes out, and then uh, at the at the uh, urging of my wife, I'm actually going to take a week of vacation, and we're not we're going to take a week off from episodes. So there will be no main episode this Sunday, and there will be no follow up episode next week. All of us, me, Zach, Janet, Kelly, everybody's just going to take a full week off. Um, not completely because I do. There are still more interviews I want to get out, so I probably still am going to through this week push out some um, bonus interviews uh, that I want to throw out throughout that time. So there will be something to listen to here and there throughout the throughout the week, but there'll be no official main episode and no official follow up episode next week because we are taking a week of vacation. Uh, and while we are uh, on that topic, we'll be doing the same thing again the week of Christmas coming up. So those are our two weeks where we're just taking the week off. Um, so that that is what's coming up soon. Uh, as far as what is coming up, the I'm working on the financial episode. I wanted to touch on this before we move we move on to this week's content. Um, I'm still working on that. I was hoping to have that be the episode on the 20th. I don't think I'm going to get there quite yet. The finances are proven to be much more complicated than I I had anticipated. Not so much they're complicated, but the analyzing them and trying to understand what's going on, which is the purpose of doing the episode. Is I do want to I want to correct. Like last week, I said that it looked like John wasn't depositing money in there. As I've actually broken down the records this week, that's that's not true. It looks there. There's actually the each month there's tons of deposits going in, but they're all ATM deposits. In the recent months, right before the murders, there was less going in than there was a year before. Um, and that's so what I'm working on now is trying to find the thing that changed. I've, I've told you guys before when it comes to arson investigation, murder investigation, whatever it is, you're always looking for the thing that changed. And so that's what I'm trying to identify. I'm also trying to identify, um, we can see through like debit card, I, I mentioned there's a bunch of ATM cash withdrawals. So what I'm doing is breaking down month by month because we have a year's worth of statements where like what are they spending money? For example, you can see charges on the debit card to Vaughn's grocery store like every week. So you can say that they're using their debit card to buy groceries. And so I'm organizing all that. So then we can say, OK, so the cash withdrawals aren't, be, aren't being used for groceries because we see how they pay for their groceries. And the, the cash isn't being used for buying gas because we see how they pay for their gas. And other bills and stuff like that. So I'm trying to break all that stuff down, sort it out so we, by process of elimination, at least know what the cash wasn't being used for. And then look at the deposit histories and things like that that are, go, that are, that are going on. Deposits going in, cash coming back out. Um, so all that stuff is, is what I'm trying to break down. I have the data, but what I'm working on is trying to analyze the data and come up with, come up, up with some actual usable knowledge for us as far as what all of that stuff means. So that's what we're working on. But um, that probably won't be the episode on the 20th because I've got two days left in this work week before I leave, uh, and I'm just not ready to record it yet. So um, it'll probably be uh, more. We're sticking with right now victimology for John and Vicky, um, figuring out the, you know all, all of the things that we have still left laying out there um, right now that'll end probably with the financial stuff and then the Robert and Christian investigation will be coming after that. Okay. Well, thanks for waiting through all the finance stuff there. Are, I mean, people that's their full-time job is doing what you're doing right now yeah. in the midst of everything else. So it's tricky when you have people that, that with all this cash in and out, it's weird in the deposits. Like it's really hard to identify. Um, I thought that I had identified what Vicky's paychecks were that were coming in. Um, but then someone, a couple of listeners showed me that in one of the crime scene, photos, I didn't even notice this, but in one of the crime scene photos, there's actually a picture of one of Vicky's pay stubs. So we know how much he owed and how much that check was for. So we're able to then match that up with the deposit and figure out which deposits were hers, okay. which ones were John's. Um, John was using that account. He was depositing money in the account. I was wrong when I said that last week. Um, so anyway, there's, there's more to come on that. Just letting you know that that's something that's actively being worked on. 
we're going to have this week off. You're going to get some more interviews. We're going to we're going to get a lot more information, I think, in these next couple of weeks about John and Vicky. Great. And I'm still holding on to a lot of finance questions that if we discover that they've not been answered in the finance episode, we can tack them on to the follow up. So if you are wondering Perfect. why your question hasn't been asked and maybe they'll be asked after the finance episode. Sounds go. good. And then uh, what'd you guys think about Chuck? Oh, he Chuck. was really endearing. Like he, it was nice to hear from him. Uh, I listened twice, and and uh, to be fully transparent, I didn't. I understand victimology. I didn't get a ton out of it for the mm-hmm. case, but I mean, he was a very endearing fellow. He seemed to really care for Vicky and the girls. Yeah. So I mean, I, I kind of took a lot of that away from this interview. For me, it was what was important was we had heard from other people talking about what was going on at Chuck's house. Yeah. Particularly if you listen to the bonus episode. Ron and Liesl Friedley's 2018 interview or 2015 interview. I don't remember which year it was now. Yeah, 2015 interview. 2015. Um, you know, we heard all the stuff that was going on at Chuck's house. And when I heard that and wanted you guys to hear it, I thought it was imperative for you to hear Chuck explain what was actually going on at his house. Yeah. So I do have a quick question before we go too far. Do we believe that Chuck is an ex of Vicky's? Because I never kind of took that away. I mean, do we have any people definitely had questions about the dynamic of of Chuck and Vicky's original relationship? Yeah, it's Chuck kind of danced around it a little bit. But essentially what I took away from it was, you know, they're saying, well, did you guys have a romantic relationship, whatever? And he was like, "Ah, well, you know, with the distance and stuff, you can't it's hard to have a relationship when you live two hours away. So I kind of got that they were kind of dating when he was around but it wasn't it never amounted to much because he lived so far away from them was what i was is what i took from what he was saying okay because in the past i had i had assumed that he was an actual ex like an actual partner of vicky's yeah i mean i think that's how yeah that's how it was laid out by many different interviews yeah and to hear him talk about it it never felt that way yeah i think i think to him it seemed like like i said i i I think i think there was a relationship there but but it wasn't as, as in depth of a relationship as maybe we thought it was based on what we heard in other interviews. Because for him, he's like, I live two hours away, so I kind of we see each other and maybe go on a date when I'm in town, but that's not very often. Right. Uh, no, I I agree, and I thought that was interesting too. Um, you know, we all come at this stuff with our own life experience, and sometimes that's helpful. A lot of the time, it's helpful. Sometimes it sort of guides us in different directions because we have that bias. But um, he really reminded me a couple of my dad's friends that I knew growing up who sort of did almost want to have that sort of godfather type role um, where Mm -hmm. they didn't have families of their own and they had different reasons for not having families of their own. One of them I think was asexual, possibly gay Mm -hmm. or not even necessarily, you know, gay may have been asexual, but just never had a family and was a wonderful, generous, warm, loving person and had money and kind of didn't have a direct person to share that with and so was extremely generous with friends and sort of thought of his friends as family so that's what came up for me i'm not saying that that's who this person was but like i said we all kind of have our experiences and and that's what came up for me was the feeling of like oh i i feel like i know this type of of person but yeah and i had the same thing and and we have a little bit uh you know when when chuck passed away we were able i was some of us were able to see like on Tiffany's, the, the social stuff that she has public that she very obviously loved this man dearly. Her kids loved him dearly. They thought of him as a grandfather and seemed like she was pretty devastated by his death. It seemed like it seemed to me that they had a wonderful relationship. That's nice to hear. That's really nice to hear. Um, so with that being said, you know, there's there, like I said, I, you know, Jasmine Scott, some other folks were, had that same question that you had Zach about, how their relationship began and kind of what it ended up as and and all that. So I feel like we've kind of touched on that. But we definitely have questions from people who were kind of pulling out victimology from things that Chuck was was saying and and hoping to maybe fill in some more blanks or or potentially fill in some blanks from things that he said that we can compare against what other people said. So do you guys want to get into some of that? Yeah, let's hear. Okay, great. Um, Chris, just really quick, wanted to clarify Chuck mentions that it was Tuesday that Tiffany and the family heard about the deaths. And maybe we've gotten some different information 
on that in the past. Is that do we know that that's the case? That I, was definitely I, I didn't take it that way. To, to me, as I and I, I've said this time and time again, that you when when people start t- talking about particular dates from long times ago, I give people kind of some leeway there. And yeah, he thought it was he thought it was Tuesday. I we've heard from Tiffany. She found out on Monday. Yeah. Everybody seemed to have found out on Monday. This is, you know, this, this is 10 years later. Um, so I'm assuming, you know, it doesn't mean that's 100 percent accurate, but I'm assuming he just had the day of the week wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm going to call this out really quick, Rena, because I see it here in the chat and I don't have it in the actual follow up questions that came through on Facebook. So. Um, kind of a little bit out of order, but do do we know if Chuck did in fact find any medical documents or writings of Becky's and turn them into the police? I I know we had questions about the the writing, so we can kind of separate that out. But they were asking, you know, for help with like medical stuff or any kind of medical documents, the dentist yeah. conversation, all of that. Does any of that show up in documents in the case file? Uh, no, not that not that I've seen, and it's and it seemed to me that they were more interested in hoping that she maybe had a journal, right, of some kind. They were trying to find you know they get anything she wrote down, any writings, anything like that. If you have it, yeah. Um, Chuck didn't seem to think that those existed, and I haven't seen anything like that in the case file that came from him. Okay. Um, Crystal says, uh, just any thoughts? I thought we should just address this because because there is so much that's being discussed in this case and so many different relationships that may or may not have had some volatility to them. Crystal says, you know, thoughts on the family having an escape plan. Um, I kind of took it as like, you know, when you live somewhere, like my dad definitely walked me through like how to get out of the house in the case of a fire or in the case of a Uh burglar or whatever. Um, But Crystal was just wondering, did that call anything up for you that they had sort of, we learned from one of the sisters, I think, like this is how we were supposed to get out and all that. No, I, di- I didn't – I had heard that already. I had heard from people that were familiar with the case that, you know, they had an escape plan from all the way back when Ron lived there. They had a way to, you know, to get out – jump out the window and then run back into the desert. Um, I don't know what the – I never got the impression it was like for fires. It was seemed like more in case somebody – got to remember like that area was pretty seedy area. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're going to get into this stuff later, but, you know, like there were – Two or three, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, other 911 calls, two Pinion Pines that day. One for someone threatening to kill someone in Pinion Pines. Like, it was, you know, it was, you know, when we heard from Chris Farley and she said that, you know, there's different, there's groups of people that just want to kind of get away from society up there, kind of hippies. And there's also people that are cooking meth and growing marijuana and and doing stuff up in in that area. So, um, and with Ron being a cop, you know, it, it, it makes sense that that he would have told them, you know, if somebody ever comes to the house or something ever happens, this is how you get out. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Um, Chris also wondered if there was any indication. I mean, again, this is more financial, but that that Chuck was gave support to uh, Becky financially, like even after she had returned to Pinion. I'm assuming we don't know that yet, or. Well, we don't have any verification of anything in the file like that. You know, this conversation happened. I I enjoyed the interview and I thought it was it gave us a lot of insight. But at the same time, there's I, I'm sure other people feel the same way. But there's a lot of questions that didn't get asked in this interview that I was like, the investigators like you came all this way to talk to him, right. like ask him about the dynamics between yeah. the sisters and and things like the money and stuff like that. You well, know, it they doesn't ask those matter if questions. you're just interested in how to, you know. Check some boxes right. and make sure you get Robert and Christian. Exactly. And that's the thing you have to remember is when these interviews were done, the time frame, they already had Robert and Christian arrested. They were already trying to build their case and prosecute them. And that's what they were focused on. Yeah. That's definitely something Jeremy mentioned in the in the Facebook post was just like, wow, there's there's clearly things that are interesting to them and clearly things that just aren't even worth bringing up to them that wish right. they would have. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday. 
I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather. Now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, Chris and Julie, uh, I think people were just kind of speculating on, you know, where the, the because we now know that the car, the Scion, was bought by Chuck and he said that it was at his house for a while. People just kind of trying to put together when it ended up at Pinion when Drew had been deployed or, you know, sort of how all of that worked logistically. I don't know if we. Yeah. And, and I don't know. I mean, the best we have is what what Chuck says. It's a, I, I'm trying to remember back to the interview. It was a week ago when I listened to it, but I, I thought he had said that he had bought Becky a little car, which I assume was like the infinity that was her car. Uh, but then he started talking about the Scion and the Scion being there. But my understanding was that Drew bought the Scion and had payments on it and mm-hmm. that Becky took that over. That's what we heard from other people. So I don't know exactly. And, and again, you're talking about a man in his late 70s at this point that I think that's how old he was. Um, he was 70. He was turning 70. Turning 70. Um, remembering something from 10 years ago. So I think some of the, it, it's hard. it's hard to really focus on some of those those details like that. Yeah. Um, after all that time had passed. Well, here's a big one. It came up for a lot of people and kind of came at it from a lot of different directions. Um, but shout outs to Jason, Jill and Mandy. We'll get into some stuff that like Carrie and Kim and Aaron kind of brought up. Cara, I saw you mentioned this um, possibly even this morning or maybe that was someone else. But um, this idea that Chuck says that Vicky and Becky were supposed to come out that weekend. Obviously, that's mm-hmm. a big deal for folks um, wondering how much that how much truth is in that we of course heard from Tiffany that Vicky was supposed to come now in Chuck's memory he sees it as being both of them which also stretches out into this general idea of was Becky moving back to Chuck's like was that why the stuff was in her car and we heard that she was going to be moving somewhere because we hear the story from Chuck about the nursing program and about how well uh, Becky was doing out there which we also heard from Tiffany so I guess to start that specifically um wondering what you think about this idea of Becky possibly being there that weekend too which someone else pointed out like she we don't know her to have taken off work or anything like that yeah i don't i, I don't think he's right about that because it, and granted there's always the possibility that that discussion happened and didn't play out but you know what we know is that Becky worked saturday she was supposed to work sunday she was home all weekend it doesn't seem like there was that she was I mean, the weekend was over when this happened and she hadn't gone up there. So I think he's just wrong about that. But then but it could be. And also, don't remember, we heard from Tiffany that, you know, two days after three days after Becky was killed and she didn't say Becky. she said her mom was supposed to go, right. but not Becky. Right. Uh, and also, she hadn't even talked to Becky in a week because they had the, you know, that disagreement about her like, supposedly like telling some lie to her ex-boyfriend or something. Right. Um, yeah, so I don't I don't think that I, I don't think Becky was supposed to be there that weekend. Now, with that being said, now was Becky maybe thinking about moving back there for the nursing program? That seems like a bigger thing to remember. Like there was this big thing that she was planning on doing that maybe he might have memory might be right. Mm-hmm. But again, we didn't hear about that from Tiffany either. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Kara, I don't know if it's Kara or Kara. Sorry. Um, but. Uh, also, the job at Outback raised some some questions for people because everyone was thinking of the Outback job as being in the desert. But the way Chuck was describing it, it almost sound, sounded like the Outback thing was closer to him. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I had the same question. And again, you know, they didn't follow up on that. But we had heard the story where she was trying to get a job at the Outback Steakhouse. We've heard this from a few people. And someone else was was also trying to get a job that Becky had some history with that didn't get along with. And they ended up neither one of them getting. We'd heard that story, Mm -hmm. which I assume happened down in the desert. And then we heard Chuck talking about an outback. But again, it's hard to tell what memories are being kind of conflated 
together. Like, is it possible she also worked at an outback up in New Hall and then was going to go work at another outback when she went down to the to the desert? Or did he hear that story and the way he remembers that it happened there? I don't know. Okay. Uh, and also uh, came up the question about the Monique cousin who was also staying with Chuck. Just folks wondering, did they interview her? Was there any information to be gleaned from that if that did happen i'm trying i don't think i have a big list of interviews that i want to get out here in the next couple of weeks uh we have some friends that were co-workers of of vicky's um and some neighbors and some friends i there's another cousin daniella that we do have an interview for i don't think I, i'm not a hundred percent sure um off the top of my head as I sit here, but I, I I don't think there was an interview with Monique. Okay. And then folks were also just wondering in general about any phone activity between Chuck and Becky in the phone records that you've seen. Uh, no, not that, not that I've seen, but um, Teresa has still been um, along with another listener, Caroline have been working on piecing together the phone records for the week before that we haven't seen yet. Uh, and I haven't been through those yet. So I, I don't know. Um, Teresa is in the chat right now, so maybe she'll be, she'll pop in and and clarify that. But I don't think I saw any interaction in those two weeks between Chuck and Becky. Okay, um, Jennifer and Nancy uh, both had some thoughts that ended up kind of um, doing a Venn diagram where they overlapped a little bit. But I'm going to read Jennifer's first regarding Vicky and Becky showing up at Chuck's Mother's Day weekend. Uh, this is just four months before the murder, and they're showing up to shower because their water was turned off. How is it that Vicky had 50K plus to her name but couldn't pay her water bill? Maybe there was another reason. And Becky switching high schools two to three times in the desert alone, according to Chuck. This is significant. Switching once, okay, but multiple times. Any records or accounts of why? And then I'm going to include Nancy's. Becky going from doing really poorly in school to being a straight-A student tells me something bad was happening to her in Pinion Pines, either at home or at school. Didn't a couple of people say other girls didn't like her? She may have been being bullied. So a lot of conversation around what's going on at home, what can we glean from what Chuck is saying, and this is one of many times that we've heard about Becky switching schools and having problems at schools, but kind of talked about in the abstract. Yeah, well, and, and we did hear for, you know, from her friends, from Claire and Janelle, I think even Javier, from several people that said that Becky had problems getting along. Remember we heard, like, what some of the first interviews we heard were from her best friends, Claire and Janelle. Or who basically said a lot of people don't like Becky. A lot of and people don't get along she with didn't, her. She came. She didn't have a her socioeconomic background could have been perceived as being lower than people, and that she was bullied yeah. for not having a ton of money. Even yeah. And as far as the they mentioned the you know fifty some thousand dollars in her name again, I don't I don't think that if if that's accurate, which I still in the finances by the way I still haven't haven't been able to track that account down, even going through her estate her estate and probate. But I don't I don't th I think if the money was there, I don't think Vicky knew it was there or knew how to access it or it had been moved into like a retirement account somewhere. But they, it definitely I can tell you it wasn't it wasn't coming into their regular checking account or savings account. I feel like Vicky didn't know about it just because from what we've heard from Tiffany with her being very delusional with money. I feel like if she knew that money was there, that money would be gone. Like yeah, they would have spent it. Yeah. And based on what we see in the. In the uh, in the financial records, I think that's accurate. I mean, they, their money they they don't carry a balance. I mean, the, you know, their their balance in their checking account will be like, you know, at the beginning of the month it was one hundred and fifty one dollars. At the end of the month, it was four dollars and thirteen cents or whatever. Like it's whatever comes in comes right back out, either through paying bills or through cash withdrawals. Right, Courtney. Um, I know you had brought up the this sense that we just talked about a little earlier about the investigators kind of pushing Chuck. For anything, any writings of, like you said, any journal. I know um, Valeria and Wendy, you know, folks were wondering if there's ever any chance we'll be able to access any of that because we know it's not in the case files that exists now. Um, obviously, that doesn't seem super likely. Like, do you, you know, there's you're not in a position where you imagine being across the table from someone in Pinion Pines and being like, OK, can you please show me the journal? Yeah, I, like we don't that. even have one exist. I mean, there, there's. Well, there was mention of it in the beginning of like her diary was in the car and. Yeah. Yeah. And we do have that I'll go through at some point, like, but there's not a lot there, but there are notes um, in the police file that are that are notes she was passing back and forth 
with someone in class, which doesn't doesn't explain a lot. And they're not dated, so we don't know when they were from. Mm-hmm. But she's passing notes back and forth with some guy in class and asking about the weekend and you know talking about what they were doing and stuff. Nothing significant there. Uh, in her biology book, she had written some note like phone numbers and stuff down. But those are the only writings that I've seen, which is really frustrating because in the inventory we hear that that you know that she has a diary or a journal in her car and then it's not in the file it's never referenced so and i they don't talk, know the investigators talk about what a great writer she was that she's a terrific yeah. writer so some you know people are reading stuff whether it's a great paper that they you know came across and, and read or whatever but um yeah sounds like there's more than than we saw um and i think it was uh, valeria or wendy uh somebody mentioned you know that sort of Interesting part of the conversation where the investigators were like, so anyway, if Tiffany might have something like, hmm, interesting. Well, maybe don't tell her that we talked. Well, you can tell her that we talked. But like, what do you feel about that vibe that everyone was kind of getting from the conversation about Tiffany and the cops? Well, I'm curious as to. So we know that the biology book is there and we know those notes are there. Are those from she's taking college courses, right? Right. At this time. So are those from college or are those from high school days? Because I feel like that's two very, you know, I mean, she graduated the year before. So yeah. Great that point. That could be vastly different information. Great point. The, well, the, bio, the biology class she was taking, current, we know she was taking a bio class in college. Okay. The notes back and forth, I don't know. Like I said, they're just like notes written on a piece of paper. So there's no, there's there's nothing to really tie them to um, as far as when they were written or okay. anything like that. Because so th- those aren't helpful unless we have some way to pinpoint them because it could be yeah. vastly different people i mean if it's in college that's that's a numerous group of people that from all over the place yeah yeah um as far as the question about the don't tell i I don't know what that's about i don't know if like tiffany was not wanting to talk to them or if they were just like we want to just you know get clear answers without them having been you know influenced by hearing from other people i I don't know It it was a little odd i thought but um i don't know could have been either one of those things yeah sarah and leah and soledad people were really um, kind of clocking the fact that the timeline that Ron has given in his interviews about when Becky moved back to the desert and when she was killed are vastly different from other yeah. reports. Um, I'll just read Soledad's because uh, it's very complete. But she says, so timeline wise, Ron believed that Becky moved back to the desert and then was killed within 30 days. Chuck says she'd moved back to the desert a year before summer of 2005. Robert corroborated that by saying they had been broken up for eight months. Jacob corroborated that by saying he and Becky had been dating for two months. Uh, so we definitely don't believe Ron's timeline, right? Which is weird because he has he's so detailed about the exact times he did things, but is off by a whole year on when his daughter moved. Yeah, I mean, that was I think I mentioned last week, like we heard Ron's initial interview and had a take on things. And then we heard his interview after they arrested Robert and Christian years later. And I think I said last week, like it may change your opinion of, you know, what you think about him and his accuracy, because yeah, most of that stuff was just bullshit. You know, it was, it was, I mean, yeah, the timeline, they, within a month of moving back, she was killed like that. We hundred percent know that's not, not true. Like a lot of what he said, you know, and that, you know, and he says, you know, him and, or Becky and, Tiffany were having, you know, huge, terrible physical altercations and fist fights. He, he clearly had a, an axe to grind with with Tiffany, um, who we know doesn't really care for him either. Um, but in that, but I didn't. We didn't hear anything like that from. You know, maybe I guess Tiffany wouldn't have shared her, but you think Chuck might have mentioned? Oh yeah, they had a knockdown, drag out fight. We also heard that Tiffany was mad about her being there because she was cutting into her gravy train of money or whatever it was. And we hear from Tiffany and Chuck that Tiffany's the one that asked if she could come there. So like, that's not true. So yeah, like most of what we heard from Ron and Liesel in 2015 was not accurate. Yeah. That was something that, that Janice and some other folks had noticed that confusion about kind of how Chuck described the Tiffany and Becky dynamic uh, and, and the fight or lack thereof compared to Ron's version. I think someone had noted like, it sounded like Chuck was also just trying to be respectful and not give information that was inaccurate or not useful or just like, you know, he cared about both these girls and maybe didn't, you know, wouldn't have wanted to launch into a thing about like a squabble or, you know, that there was a sense of him feeling like protective of them, not in any way that would make him not be helpful, but just that he wasn't like in the way that Ron was like, and let me tell you what else. 
yeah. which is also understandable. But Chuck was not offering up like, here were all these conflicts between the sisters and da 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 da. Like, it wasn't you know? Yeah, it, that's possible. But I also got the impression that he understood the gravity of like the situation oh, that he's sure. he's providing information to help and. And I might lean that way if it weren't for the fact that everything else that Ron said was just, you know, easily disproven, right. you know, so it's, it's like if it was like everything Ron says is true, but he also says that this fight had that, the you know, this physical fight happened. Well, maybe Chuck just didn't mention it, but it's like when she left, why she was there, the conflict over money, all these things, uh, happened that didn't happen and he says there was a physical fight with tiffany uh i don't personally i don't buy it i don't think that was the case like i said the the biggest thing is he starts that out by characterizing becky moving there trying to tap into the money that chuck has and tiffany being angry about it because she was taking the money out of her hands when again both tiffany and chuck say it was Tiffany who asked if it was okay for Becky. It was her idea for Becky to move there. Right. Yeah. Uh, Teresa wonders, do we know if Ron and Chuck ever met in person? Um, I don't. I, I, didn't Ron say that they hadn't? I don't remember. I don't remember if he said it. I don't, I don't re- recall at all. Yeah. I, I have in my mind that I heard that, that, that I know they didn't, but maybe I'm just, maybe I'm creating memories. But I thought I remembered that. Um, Ron saying something along the lines of that bonus interview that like, I put up. I never up met that, the guy or something. Yeah, something like that. Like, yeah, we got we have his number and stuff. And they were like, oh, he's a good guy and da-da-da-da-da. Never met him. Something like that. Gotcha. Could be. I'll say this. I don't. We don't have any evidence that they did meet. I don't think they did. Got it. Uh, okay. And then we definitely had a couple of folks who sort of their sense of the interview and their interpretation of the interview and Chuck were was different than other folks. And they did mm-hmm. feel like... You know, we should give him the attention that we've given other people in terms of whether or not he could have had a motive um, and whether or not there were dynamics happening in that relationship or those relationships that Chuck had with the girls that would be cause for alarm. I know Sonia had mentioned, um, you know, that he had like seemed to have a lot of information and knowledge about like how long it took to get there and how far apart the houses worked and that, you know. What was was his alibi solid? Um, felt like, you know, I, I'm I have to say, Sonia posted like five things, and I I I can't read them all, so I was trying to sort of list out a handful of them. Um, mm-hmm. but I wanted to acknowledge that because you know one of the parts of the conversation were just like, why wouldn't we look at him in the same way we've looked at other folks? You know, uh, he's he had this intense relationship potentially with these girls is is maybe what they were getting at um mentioned jim clementi's talking about you know the the like well if you want the company maybe you create a an opportunity to have that company to be the shoulder to cry on so i just wanted to throw all that out there see if you wanted to speak on that at all and and then we can move on to the next piece yeah any, anybody on the fan page would have seen that I, I made a post the other day after a few people uh it was just i think two people had posted that you know they got vibes or feelings that Chuck was like had some kind of grooming behavior or, or something like that as though he's some kind of predator. Uh, and I put up a post that said, we're not, we're not entertaining that on our fan page. I mean, you can think what you want. You can discuss what you want with whoever, but I'm, it's not too often. I draw these lines, but I'm drawing the, like, we're not going to drag this man's name through the mud and start wildly speculating with no evidence. I mean, it's tough. And I think I said in my post, it's a, it's a hard thing to do because, you know, sometimes we find the answers we're looking for by speculating about some of the evidence we have and start running through scenarios. Um, it's a it's it's a tough line to navigate for me to see what's okay and what's not okay. Um, but here's the thing: like uh, Sonia had mentioned, well, he fits Jim Clemente's profile about um, somebody wanting wanting to create a situation where Becky needed a shoulder to cry on, and that Chuck fit that. And but. Chuck doesn't fit the profile at all. Jim's profile was that this was a younger person that he thinks that the intent could have been to create a situation where Becky, the victim needed a shoulder to cry on, not Tiffany who lived two hours away, um, who didn't have much of a relationship with her mom and was already living with it. Like 
He doesn't fit the profile. You can try to find a way to make to wedge that him in. But here's the thing. We have zero evidence indicating or implicating in any way, shape, or form that Chuck was even in the county at the time that this happened. We have zero evidence or implication or accusation that Chuck's relationship with Becky or Tiffany or anybody else was anything other than a kind, loving, supportive person. That's where I'm drawing the the line here that for us to start saying, well, I kind of got a vibe. So let's talk about the possibility of Chuck being a sexual predator that was grooming these girls. I'm not, I'm not going to have those conversations be a part of this show or, or our Facebook page because there's just, there's absolutely nothing to indicate that that was the case. And and this is years after the fact. Like I said, what we know from from what we've seen from Tiffany was to the day he died, they were still close. They she still loved him. He loved them. Her kids think of him as their grandfather. It was devastated by his death. There is just absolutely nothing in there. And and, and then you have to look at too because sometimes I'll see discussions like this happening based on maybe a piece of evidence. And they'll be like, well, this could mean, and let's think about different ways where the, where this could be the case. And then I'll look at like, are we, is there an end to this, right? Is, is, there, is there something we could find in this file that could answer the question that you're asking? And in the case with Chuck, like best case scenario, you have a long drawn out conversation about whether Chuck was, was, was doing these things you're talking about with no way whatsoever to prove it. The one person that was close to him was Tiffany, who clearly didn't see things that way. So all that's going to be is people arguing about it, right. speculating about it, and never getting an answer to it. Right. And and this is from what I know of the man, from what I've done with, with researching and background checks and then the stuff that we normally do, from what I know of the man, uh, he was an incredible human being a kind and loving and generous human being. And we're not going to shit on his memory on our page. And there are people and I'll tell I mean, Sony was one of them. She's very pissed off that I did that. And like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If that means you stop listening because you're pissed off at me, then that's the consequence because I'm not, I'm not budging on this. If someone says, Hey, look, I found in his background check where he had, you know, a charge where he was accused of something at some time, or here's where somebody in the family said they suspected something and you want to talk about that fine. But if it's just a vibe or a feeling you get, and you want to talk about him that way, uh, it's not happening. And then, and then of course I hear, well, you, well, you let speculation happen about other people. Again, that's a tough line. But when you take like, for example, Javier, who again, I have said over and over again, I don't think was at this crime scene and had anything to do with it. But do I think it's possible he could have had some knowledge of it? I think that's in the realm of possibility still because we have changing stories, lying to police, controlling the narrative. Um, there, there are there are issues that that still you could see how he he's got this connection to Jacob, who doesn't have an alibi, whose phone wasn't working at the time. You know, and, and there, there's there, if there's something there that indicates this person could still be connected then we can carefully have these discussions. But you've also heard me, you know, with Gray, uh, with Josh Ernie, with Ron, where you know, we look through, we've examined everything we have and to Austin, examine for it. for example. Like, yeah. 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 We, we've looked through everything that I see that we have to, that we have to examine. And I don't see these people as, as having any connection. So we, we need to stop spending our energy discussing that because there's nothing there to indicate they did. Yeah. Now I haven't said that I've, that I've cleared Austin of anything because there's still questions I have about him. Um, but Gray, Josh, Ron, and Chuck, I don't see any reason to even discuss them anymore. Oh, okay. Well, as since this episode is about Chuck, let's entertain this idea of Chuck being a suspect for just a split second here. the 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 only motive that's been presented is he wants to bring these girls these girls closer to him. Mm-hmm. That's the only motive presented. Why now? Why would it be now? What changed? Right. Why? Why would it be at this moment that he would do this crime? 
Mm-hmm. Why would it not be when Becky's trying to leave? Why would it not be right after Becky's trying to? What? Right. W- why is it happening? You know, I, I understand what the people are laying forth with a motive, but there's no reason for that to happen at that time. What? What changed? Why did it happen? Yeah, and the answer is nothing. Like nothing that I've seen. There's there's no significant change there. Just one day decides. And I, th- I think that's maybe I'm wrong, but everybody you're getting at is like just yeah. one day all of a sudden decides, you know what, today I'm going to go up and murder mm-hmm. Tiffany's whole family. Yeah. Like Tiffany's never given us any indication that she was intending on leaving or anything like that. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel that there's there, there may be this, this scene motive, but there's no spark to create this action. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I thought I just, it made me so sad. I was, was, that was an emotional interview for me to listen to. And it made me really sad that, you know, he was like, I'm so glad that someone finally talked to me, you know, feeling like he was right. on the outside because he was in many ways, but was also such a big part of some of their lives. And, um, yeah. you know, it was I, I felt like he was so eager to just be a part of the conversation for the first time in years and years. So I'm so glad that you that you shared the interview and I'm really glad that you posted that. And I know a lot of people agree. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, moving into, I think some of this takes place in the in the Ron and the Liesel stuff that was that you that you dropped. Um, you know, we hear a little bit about this idea of conversations that they had with Becky about her dating choices and you know her like sex choices and stuff like that, which is. Felt like a kind of an awkward conversation. Of course, these awkward conversations happen in investigations. Mm-hmm. Um, people were wondering if there was a significance to this idea of, you know, had to be January. That's when she had to have done it. Um, people were wondering if that takes us back to this idea of a pregnancy. Not necessarily. I mean, Karen and Kaylee not necessarily are saying with their questions like this must mean or is, you know, could this mean there was a pregnancy, but more using it to point a spotlight on the cops saying like, again, it really feels like they're moving the conversation in any way possible back towards Robert and the significance of Robert. And if there are writings they're looking for, they're probably looking for something, hoping that there's going to be an I will kill like we saw with Adnan's notes, you know, that they're going to find that extra thing to kind of put the nail in the coffin in the in the upcoming trial. So do you feel like there's anything to be really taken from the Ron and Liesel being like, we know exactly when she had sex and we, you know, and this is why. Well, no, because we know it's not true. We've heard from our own friends that that's not, like, none of it was true. And I don't know if it's somebody said in the in the YouTube chat that it like Ron seemed to have like a lot of revisionist history. And that's exactly what I think. Personally, I don't think that he or Liesel was were actually that close with Becky and and had all those conversations. Um, and some other people had said like on Facebook that like, well, she said, Becky told me everything. Well, Becky clearly didn't tell her everything. Cause we know that a lot of the stuff she's saying isn't accurate. So I don't know if Becky was just telling her that stuff. Cause you're like stepmom, And I'm just, you know, I, I'm not going to tell you what I really have going on or if they're just making this stuff up, but it was, it was just like, like that interview that they're referring to here with Ron and Liesel is hard to take anything concrete out of it when you when you when there are verifiable inconsistencies with 90 percent of what they're saying right. it's hard to like grab one thing and be like oh well that was probably accurate right okay well i have sort of a the, the last questions i have are more just like straight shot one question about something very specific that could okay. be evidentiary um I know we just talked about the viability of Ron's interview, but Kristen did mention that uh, she thought in Ron's one of Ron's interviews, uh, it, it was said that up to five people were involved in this crime. And Kristen wants to know, have you heard this before anywhere? Could this be at all accurate? Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, what we're talking about is what the police were speculating. I think that was from his first interview. Okay. Um, I think. Um, yeah, it's just it's not evidence. You know, it, it's something that. If that's accurate, then that means that's maybe an, an idea that the police were tossing around at the time. My guess would be probably from all the footprints mm. that are that were back there. That you know, 
you know, again, there, there's speaking of revisionist history, how that ended up at trial with the area of disturbance. And there's, oh, there was a bunch more prints, but we didn't, we just didn't document them. Well, none of that's what was said at the very beginning when they were, but you can see from the photos, like there are, uh, there are prints from multiple different brands of shoes there. None of them matched any of the shoes from other than, you know, one of them, one of the prints were from a van shoe and Robert owned a pair of van shoes, but not those van shoes. They didn't match those shoes. Right. Um, yeah, so that's that's what I wondered is if they, if maybe they were like, man, there's all these prints here from mm. a bunch of different shoes. Maybe there's like five people here. Makes me wonder if they didn't identify five different types of shoes back there. And then, you know, when they live later develop their theory of the case, they're like, well, let's just focus in on two pairs Bend of it shoes. Down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Carl, and I'm sure we'll get to this, but wanted to shout out Carl for his question about Ron's investigator. Um, how do how much are we going to talk about that investigator and what he uncovered and where the crossover with the police um, may have ended up happening later on? That seems like it's kind of a later, later conversation. Yeah, wh- Is that coming? Yeah, we're going to get into uh, the forensic, the things that 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 honed everybody in on Robert. Like I said, everybody's but obviously myself included want to want to get into the Robert and Christian discussion, but the. Some of you are going to be very disappointed as far as the case against Robert and Christian because you've pretty much heard it. You've heard their interviews, and then there's these, you know, the DNA on the card on the on the business card, and you've already heard the phone evidence is how they said it could possibly be if they, were, you know, if all circumstances were exactly right that maybe they could have um, accomplished this based on the phone records, and that's pretty much it. The rest of it's all just just kind of more wild speculation and mm-hmm. circumstantial evidence. But so we're going to get into all of the, get through all of the rest of the details about the case against Robert and Christian. And then we'll get into Bolaños's um, investigation and how that intersected and, and, and then how the, the case against them how it was brought, they were arrested. Then the charges were dropped, a bunch of political stuff going on there. We're going to get into all that rearrested, retried, all that stuff is, yeah, will be coming later. Okay. Uh, Teresa says, does the FBI report or investigation on Ron uh, line up with the timing of any of Becky's moves to Santa Clarita from Santa Clarita? Are you seeing any relationship in timing on that? I guess we don't know. We don't exactly know when the. No. And as I Teresa, who's in the chat right now, is one of the few people on that page. That has my phone number, Teresa. You could just ask me the question. <laughs> Maybe she wanted everyone to hear the question and answer. I think that makes sense. Yeah. But the answer, the, we don't know. We, we still have not been able to identify what the FBI investigation is. Or I don't have any way of answering that. Yeah. Well, I think she was saying, like, even if we don't know what it was, can we put pieces together about the timing of when those questions were being asked of Vicky? But it's so vague, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's I great mean. Great question, though. Great question. She said... Um, or who told us Tiffany had said that the FBI was questioning them last summer, which if that was summer of 2005 and then it was, you know, September of 2005 when he left. So possible. I mean, that, that was happening about the time he was retiring. Yes. Right. As far, but that's all we know is that the FBI was questioning about something that bump and Sarah knows about, but we don't know about. Right. Um, Kristen says uh, Drew mentioned that John had a little locked metal cabinet. Uh, any mention of that anywhere else um, being recovered in the fire? Any talk of that anywhere else except for that interview? No, that's the first I've heard of it. Okay. Um, Kristen also wondering about some of the other things that were mentioned, um, like the person who worked for the water company that may or may not have had an encounter, an attempt, an encounter with Becky. Um Stuff like that that are sort of just these little breadcrumbs that kind of get mentioned as we've discussed. No investigator asks any follow up questions about it or anything. Like no, that. and that's that's the frustrating part. So that came, I think, that was from Drew's interview. Was it the Drew I or Tanya? So. I think it was. I think it was Drew's interview. Um, who said that Becky was, you know, almost all? I think she said the way she put it was like almost raped. Um, sometime soon, sometime the year before the murder, by somebody who worked for the water department. Um, and like, hello, yeah, you know, it's just like, yeah, I mean, it's frustrating because I'm sure people are listening to this right now. Like, come on, Bobby, want answers to this? Like, I want them too. Like, why the hell would you not follow up on that or investigate it further or anything? And just like, oh, is that is that the case? Okay, yeah. Well, what about Robert? Like, that was the that's the you know every interview. 
Um, no, I don't know about that. Some people have pointed out, and I guess I'll, I will just share this that we did here. If you connect dots, and I don't, I don't think these are dots to be connected, but just to make sure it's being put out there that um, Austin's dad, Austin Alba's dad, worked for the water department. So a couple people were like, "Could that have been Austin Alba's dad?" Oh. And my answer is, "Who knows? No idea. Yeah. We have no evidence that it was, other than he also worked at the water department." But wait, weren't those interviews with Drew and Tanya? Like, those weren't even later interviews, right? Those were ones that were No, they were, were early interviews. To, yeah, and they still didn't yeah. ask any questions. And they hadn't even honed yeah. in on anybody at that point. Um, uh, okay. Uh, and then no, but at that, at that point, I still maintain, I think, I think they were really focused on Javier at that point. Um, Got it. Who they, I think it seemed, so I, either way, I think they had an, like, that didn't fit with what the, the theory they were working on. And so they either that or they're just terrible in it. Like, like hmm, someone, a, a, a girl was murdered at her house. Like, oh yeah, just recently someone tried to rape her and attack her. Like, that doesn't warrant a follow up question. Right. Yeah. Um, Kristen asked, can the DNA that was recovered on the handles of the wheelbarrow, of course, this is stuff that comes up in the Chuck conversation, um, be worked on by a genealogist? If one could actually get Maybe. access to that DNA. Maybe. We're, uh, um, Maybe. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's a fun uh, response. Um, Anna, just very quickly, Anna was wondering about the fire that was being discussed the big fire what was burned that was like a desert forest fire right that Chuck yeah and, and 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 if people didn't catch is that the one they called the esperanza fire i, I so. think or was that a different one yeah um if people didn't catch the significance there the police are kind of using that as their excuse for doing i, I mean I'm, I'm putting words in their mouth but i'm not putting i but as the idea they were portraying um it, that they were the new investigators in the later years were using that fire as an excuse for the early investigators doing a shitty job because what they were saying was right after these murders, there was this huge arson wildfire and a ton of their resources were spent trying to figure out that and investigating that case. And that's why they didn't. They weren't putting the best effort uh, into. Okay. And you catch little glimpses. You, yeah, you, I'm I sure most of you. Yeah, I guess I didn't. I, that's not what I picked up on about that. And so that's really, yeah. really interesting. Yeah, because you you catch them saying things like, "Look, I wish they had done it better. They didn't do the yeah. best job." I did. They were talking about the wheelbarrow specifically, yeah. right? So they were they were talking about the the what he was trying to get across was. This this is my translation of what I heard. So this is not a quote. This is my translation of what I heard from the officer is, I wish the idiots would have taken the whole wheelbarrow instead of just cut the fucking handles off. Right. But, you know, but then so like he's having those discussions and then he's tying them into and I've heard this before, too, from them it was like, you know, they just got that fire happened and it was, they were investigating at the same time. Resources were thin because of that. But yeah, that's their excuse for doing a shitty job at the beginning was that they were tied up with investigating that arson. Gotcha. Um, Sarah asks, did Vicky have a will? I can't remember if we've ever answered that, which seems insane because I'm she did not. I don't think so, because like we have the, the files from when she went through her estate, went through probate. And it was it took years, about yeah. three years for Tiffany to get everything settled with this estate, um, which is typically the case of. When there's no will and everything has to be handled after the fact, nothing was set up ahead of time. Okay. And that's, by the way, that estate stuff is part of what I'm working on with the finances episode. And I still feel like there's like, I found, it wasn't me, a listener had found and posted it in the files on the Facebook page, like the probate and the, and, and you, we see the money that was doled out from the insurance company for the house, but I don't see anything in there with this retirement account. So mm-hmm. I, I still don't quite know what's going on there. Okay. Uh, that's all I have. I I see in the YouTube chat there's some conversations about the crime scene and and speculation about murder suicide. I don't know that we have time to jump into that at the end of the episode, so I I'm acknowledging it, but maybe I'm yeah. And, and I'm sure there are a few people have thrown around the idea multiple times, and I understand why it keeps coming up because this crime scene is very perplexing, and we're seeing more and more 
things that point to things not. I mean, I'm with you guys. Like, I, from everything we're hearing, Vicky was trying to get away that weekend. We hear that things weren't great with John. It was like, also, it's easy to start to think, well, could John have been? But the the thing is, the the crime scene just doesn't show double homicide, suicide. It doesn't. There's no nobody had a gun. I feel like we talked about this two weeks ago. Yeah, a hundred times already. But I, it keeps coming up. I, I'm just pointing out, like I'm I'm not like shitting and then like, putting it down. Like, don't be idiots. Of course, that's not the case. Like, it's not the case. I'm telling you that. But I get why you keep people keep kind of coming back to that. But it's just like it's just not the case. There's not. You can't do a murder suicide and not have a gun land by somebody at the end of it. Doesn't work that way. Um, so with that being said, you said that's the, that's it for questions, Janet. Mm-hmm. Okay. So thank you all very much. All of you guys on the YouTube, our patrons, especially thank you guys and all of you guys for listening. And as I mentioned at the top, we're going to be off this week. There'll be some stuff coming out and, and I'll probably schedule bonuses on Sunday and Monday. If I can get those done. What might we hear this week? Good question. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to set you up. Yeah, I have, well, I have a I have a list of interviews, but I haven't and I've read a lot of, but I haven't heard them. So a lot of that depends on what is listenable quality, and that's by the way sometimes the reason why some of these might be a main episode as opposed to a bonus is because sure. sometimes it's like they're awful to listen to, and for the people that are only tuning in on Sundays and Fridays, I don't want to give you something that's got awful to listen to on those. Um, but yeah, we'll have some interviews coming out the next. So the next episode. Uh, that will be a full episode, which at this point probably will be an interview because I said I don't think I'll have the financial stuff done by then. We'll be on the 20th uh, and then that week, which I think is Thanksgiving week. It is. Um, it will be – there will be a follow-up on on Black Friday that we'll record um, the Wednesday before before Thanksgiving. So we'll be back in the back in the swing of things through, uh, through December. And again, don't forget today, go to our website, truthandjusticepod.com. If you click the, sh- click the shop logo or look anywhere on our social media, we should have those merch uh, sales going on. Uh, appreciate you know the, the funding for that all just goes back into our operation. I'm, we're trying to get back out to opinion and do some in-person interviews and, and possibly do a live Q&A type thing out there uh, with Janet and possibly Dr. Shiloh, who has uh, mentioned she'd like to be involved in that too. Yeah. Um, and not invited. Yep. You Zach are, can't come. You, I've said that you can't come without Zach. Oh. I'll discuss it with the government of California. <laughs> You're going to stop me at the airport. <laughs> um, but anyway, go uh, get those shirts. You can get those, order, get those orders in. You're only going to have about two weeks to do it. And once they're gone, they're gone. That's going to be it. It's the outsider shirt. Uh, so pay attention to social media. Thank you guys again, everybody on YouTube, Patreon, and just listening, driving your car, or hopefully not shoveling your driveway. Because we got some weather coming to the Midwest this weekend. Yeah. And uh, we're on a vacation, and we'll talk to you guys in two weeks. Thanks, Thank you guys. Everybody. Happy birthday, Sagan. NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com Our follow-up logo was created by me and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnik, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. 
just go to patreon.com slash truth and justice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. A two and a three. <laughs> that was really fun, Bob. Oh. He's a good boy. He's a good boy. He what? He just shit. Oh, I don't like your facial expressions. I don't like the energy you're bringing to the room. I uh, love you, Janet. <clears throat> hey. <laughs> Say goodbye to the dish and hello to Sky Stream, the new way to get Sky over Wi-Fi. So you can get unmissable Sky shows like The Last of Us and Succession, as well as Netflix and Discovery Plus, and loads more, all in one subscription for £26 a month. Oh, and next day delivery with no upfront fee. Skystream. TV simplified. Head to sky.com. Requires Skystream and broadband minimum speed 10 megabits per second. 18 month minimum term. Cut off time supply for next day delivery. Excludes bank holiday. 18 plus terms apply.